Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Unabridged. We are here for episode 140. This is our Patreon preview. Before we get started, I just want to let you know that we are launching a new program, a new free program called Unabridged Ambassadors. If you are interested, you can go to unabridgedpod.com ambassadors. All right, before we get started talking about Patreon, we are going to do our bookish check-in. Ashley, what are you reading? One of the things I'm reading right now is Brandy Colbert's The Voting Booth. And this one I'm listening to on audio. Thank you to Libro FM for the amazing program they have on there, the ALC program, which is really great. If you ever want information about that, listeners, and how to get how to plug into that, let us know because we all enjoy that program very much. But anyway, I've been listening to this audio and I absolutely love it. I love her works. I loved Little and Lion by her. But I think that why this one is so amazing right now is because it is really focused on two 18-year-olds, Marva and Duke, and their journey toward being voters. And so Marva is really passionate about voting. She had been campaigning to make sure that people are registered to vote and doing all that kind of stuff leading up to the election. Duke, we find out early on, has a brother who has died who was also very passionate about voting, but he himself is not as passionate about it, but of course plans to vote. And then it is the journey of him not being able to having some problems with voting the day of the election. And what I loved about it is I think it is great for young people because it highlights the importance of youth going out to vote. And certainly that's something that we want to encourage. But also she really explores in the books a lot of the barriers toward voting that are so important to be discussing in our country and how those barriers can prevent people from getting to cast their vote and how that can really shape the way an election turns out. And so I love how I think it is a light and fun young adult book that really can reach readers, but also she's hitting on some pretty profound issues within the American voting system that certainly we are seeing play out in our elections. And so I love it. I think it's really well done. And I'm always interested in novel. I think I've, I've learned that I'm interested in two different kinds of novels. One, I have started reading more epics that span really large <laughs> spans of time. And then I also love novels that look at a very short period of time. So this entire book moves over the course of the election day. And I think that is just really interesting as a way to tell the story. But I, yeah, again, I, I can't recommend it enough. I think it's a great read and I think it is absolutely pertinent right now leading up to our elections and just remembering that people's voices matter and that it is important for us to think about how we do have a part in democracy. So again, that is Brandy Colbert's The Voting Booth. Yeah, I love that book so much. Oh, so good. Okay, Sarah, how about you? What are you reading? So I just started Lamar Giles's Not So Pure and Simple. 
so I've, I'm, I'm literally in the first chapter, so I'm not, I, I don't have a ton to say at the moment, but it is basically a book about Dell and Kira. Dell has had a crush on her for a very long time. And he, he basically, she's always had a boyfriend and, and then in his junior year of high school, she becomes available. So she, so he kind of pursues her and I have not, I've, this is coming from the dust jacket because I haven't gotten this far, but basically what it appears that happens is that he goes to a church event that she's involved in. And somehow between him liking her, he, he makes a purity oath and <laughs> <laughs> hence the title, not so pure and simple. So that's kind of the premise. I don't have a ton more to say about it because I just started it, but I think it's, it sounds very compelling. The cover art is gorgeous. When I bought it, I was like, oh my gosh, this cover art is so beautiful. And then it just sounds really compelling. And it sounds like something that is going to be really relatable for young adults, which is who it's written for. So I'm very excited to dig in. And I think it's going to be a quick read. So I'm excited about it. That sounds so good. That's why I love his work. I'm excited to read that one. Yeah. What are you reading, Jen? So I am reading, this is another buddy read. So I'm up to the first reading assignment, which is about a quarter of the way through. Can this we also is- say that Jen is a buddy read queen? We <laughs> <laughs> okay. have a lot of buddy reads going on right now. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, they're all good books. So it's really bad when you get in the buddy reads and you're like, oh no, I don't want to read this. But th- this is another good one. So this is Nadia Hashimi's The Pearl That Broke Its Shell. This is a read with Tony Buddy Read. As always, check out our episode with Tony. So this one takes place in Afghanistan in 2007. And it has two, the primary story is in 2007, but then there's also another story that's a flashback. So it's alternating between those two time periods. The more modern time period, the protagonist is Rahima. She is one of five girls in a family. Their father is addicted to opium. And their mother is sort of at her wit's end as to how to make their lives work because she wants to send the girls to school, but they are facing constant harassment on the way home. She wants to be able to send the girls to the store to help her, you know, just get through her every day. And she can't. So she takes advantage of this custom that I had never heard of called Basha Posh. I'm not sure how to say it because I'm reading the ebook, but. And that is when you decide for a while, when a family decides for a while that one of their girls will act as a boy. And so Rahima is the one chosen because she is, I think she's nine at the beginning of that part. And so they cut her hair. They start dressing her as a boy. They call her Rahim. And then everyone knows that this is happening and just accepts it. And also is giving her all of the privileges that a boy in the society would have. It's really interesting the way it it all comes about. And the alternate storyline is about Rahima's ancestor, Shakiba, who is in a horrible accident when she's very young and half of her face is burned. And the burn is so severe that it's paralyzed. And because of that, she is an outcast from her family and she never really sees anyone. And there are certain parallels in her life to what Rahima is going through. So it's just this great, 
the story of Shakiba, Rahima's aunt is telling her and her aunt is also an outcast because she has a limp. And so there's all this discussion of the way that when people talk about her, the, the fact that she has a limp is part of her name. It just mm-hmm. like becomes this defining characteristic. And that had happened with Shakiba as well. And so, yeah, I am really enjoying it. Hashimi is a great storyteller and I love the stories within stories and I'm learning, I'm learning a lot. So it's a great, great read so far. I feel like Tony has a, a great touch with picking books that are going to be good for discussion. So yeah. that's been fun. I just yeah. realized I have that on my shelf. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, I, cause you, I was like, oh, that sounds really good. And then I saw the cover and I was like, oh, that looks familiar. And I had done a subscription box a, couple, a year or two ago and they sent me three books and I was like, oh, <laughs> It's on my shelf. That's why it looks familiar. That's really funny. Well, yeah. So that is the pearl that broke its shell. And someone in our buddy Reed was saying that she had found a deal on all of Hashimi's books at this used bookstore and the covers are all lovely. And I realized that I have another one of them. So I had a similar experience. I was like, oh, that's why her name sounded familiar. Anyway, <laughs> That's funny. That's yeah. I almost talked about Thierry Jones's An American Marriage oh, for a bookish yeah. check-in, but that... I've already finished it, but that was another one that Read with Tony did as a discussion. And in addition to her buddy reads that I think are amazing, she's also doing the Read to Learn buddy reads right now. So they're single time discussions, but a lot of them are, you know, it's supporting the Black Lives Matter movement and exploring a lot of books by Black authors. But anyway, I just wanted to say that that was a really great discussion experience as well. And another great book. I mean, just a phenomenal, I absolutely loved that book. So yeah. Yeah. That's great. All right. Well, we are going to move on to the main part of our episode, which is going to be a little bit layered. So we wanted to talk about Patreon and everything that we have going on there. We are really excited about our Patreon content. There are There are a lot of levels, but we kind of have two tracks. So we have a track for teachers where you can get a lot of good teaching materials. And then we have just a bookish track. And then we have a good one for people who are both bookish and teachers, which I think is a lot of people. So everyone should really go for that one. Yes, it is the highest level. Okay. So so we have some audio content. So each month. Sarah and I are recording book to screen adaptation episodes. So we're picking either a TV show or a movie that is adapted from a book and just, just chatting about it. And we've been all over the place there. And then Ashley and Sarah are doing unabridged off topic episodes. And those are actually non bookish episodes. So they're just about random things that they want to talk about. I have to say, I think these are all really fun. I have a lot of fun recording them and listening to Ashley and Sarah's. And so I think you would enjoy those and just get to know us a little bit more. And the really cool thing about the those episodes is that you can put in a private RSS link into your podcast catcher and they will come right in as a podcast in your whatever app you're using. So If you do sign up and you have trouble with that, just email us or message us on social media and we can help walk you through that if if it's unclear to you when you get started. And they're a lot of fun for us because they're a little less formal and we have a little bit more control over who is seeing them. And so (laughs) it's easier to just be a little more relaxed, which is really fun. 
Yeah. I think it's a great way to get to know us. So another great way, we also have host spotlights each month where we share a little bit about ourselves, just as just as people, just as hosts of Unabridged. We have book talks about different levels. So we do children's lit, middle grade lit and YA lit. We have some other teaching materials that people can get for free. I will say a lot of those would also be good just if you have a book club. So even if you're not a teacher, you might want to take a look. So yeah, we just have a lot of content that we're putting in there each month. So if you like what you're hearing and seeing on Unabridged, it's it's worth your while to check it out. The address, we'll put this in the show notes, is patreon.com slash unabridged pod. And you can get all the details. I will say I think it's a great deal, but I might be slightly biased. Well, and yeah, I wanted to just add on that we really appreciate your support because while it is a low cost for you having Patreon supporters really enables us to continue bringing you the content and supporting the cost. We're, we're looking to cover the cost of what it takes to just keep the podcast going. And so your support means a lot to us and the, the financial aspect of it just helps us to cover some of these costs that we incur so that we can bring you great content, which we love doing. So to give you a little taste of what you might get if you decide to support us on Patreon, we wanted to share one of our Patreon episodes. And this is one of Sarah and my Sarah's and my book to screen adaptation episodes. It is about Twilight. And I have to say this was a hoot because that was a hoot. I had not watched Twilight in a very long time. And so much, so many of the emotions that I felt when I was reading the Twilight books and when the movies were first came coming out just came flooding back and I'll let you interpret that however you want for better or worse. I felt a lot of things I felt when I was reading Twilight for the first time, man, it, it was, yeah. And we dug in, there's some great trivia about the making of the Twilight movie that we really dug into. So you want to get a little bit of a deep dive into the background of Twilight. It's so much fun. I really, I look forward to recording these episodes on Patreon because we get to touch on two of my most favorite things, pop culture slash movies and, and books. And then with off topic, we get to talk about the things that we love that have nothing to do with either of those things, or maybe sometimes pop culture, but most of the time we get to talk about other interests that we have, because sometimes I think it's that it's kind of like when you teach and your kids think that you like live in your classroom under the desk. They're like, you go to the movies. Oh my gosh, you go some, you know? And I think that sometimes we, because we talk about books so much, which we all love that becomes this defining characteristic. So it's really nice to be able to share other parts of our life with you. And also to be just like Ashley said, a bit, a bit more off the cuff and a bit more relaxed and a bit more conversational. So I, I look forward to recording those episodes. Yeah, they're really fun. All right. Well, without further ado, we will let you listen to our episode about Twilight and then we'll be back after for our Give Me One. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our Twilight book to film adaptation episode <laughs> for Patreon. Sarah and I are here to talk about the cinematic masterpiece that is Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> so as always we are going to start with just our overall impressions of twilight i feel like that's complicated <laughs> so i so this is definitely this is like my third or fourth watching of twilight the movie and when i first watched it 
it, I think I actually watched the first movie before I read the books because I had a friend who just kept saying about these books. They were so awesome and they, that I had to read them. And so the move, the first movie came out and I watched the first movie and I was like, Ooh, all this teenage <laughs> and <laughs> vampire romance. Thank you. I like this a lot. So I, so I watched the movie and I liked it. And then I read the books and I mean, I devoured them. And again, I mean, I know that they are not this standard in literature, but I thought that they were compelling and I just, and there are things that I just do not like about them. And even when I read them, I was like, this doesn't seem great, but I still could not get enough of them. And I really enjoyed them and I liked the movies. So, so I want to say that about my first watching how I do think subsequent viewings have made me feel like it's a little more like I think the further I get away from the books and that experience reading the books the the movies seem especially the first one the first one seems very like overly dramatic and very like kind of hokey a little bit and I do think like you know in this age in 2020 when we have these amazing special effects in Mm -hmm. movies when you watch Twilight you're like oh I can tell that this is pretty dated (laughs) but I mean still overall I enjoy the experience of watching it I think um I think I mean I enjoy it I enjoy those stories even though I do have some critical things to say about some of the other some of the casting and all that but I do think like overall I enjoy it I think it is I think that for the audience it's intended for I'm sure it's captivating so I really I mean I I find it an enjoying an enjoyable cinematic experience what about you Jen yeah I'm I'm similar like we sat down the other day to watch it And I thought every single thing anyone has said is wrong with this movie is right. And I do not care. I love it so much. (laughs) I'm just, there is something in it. Like, I mean, I love it now. If I had been in high school when this came out, I would have been full on obsessed because it's just like, I read all the vampire stuff. Like I read Anne Rice, but I also read um, the vampire diaries, which actually came out in the nineties. The books came out. It took me a long time to realize that the show was actually based on those books and that I went back and read them, which was a bizarre experience. But yeah, I just, I love that kind of thing. And so yeah, like you were saying, I read them because I, in my classroom, I used to go around the room at the beginning of the year and have all of my students tell me their names or what they wanted to be called and what they were reading or a favorite book. And like half my kids were reading Twilight and I had never even heard of it. And I was like, well, I guess I got to go get this thing. So I went to our local bookstore, picked up Twilight and first week of school, this was a very bad decision. First week of school stayed up till like one in the morning reading that book. (laughs) And then I went back to the bookstore the next day and bought the rest of the books. I think the fourth book wasn't out yet. There's just something, like you said, even though my brain knows there are things wrong with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the sparkly skin scene. Oh, Lordy. <laughs> I just remember <laughs> my husband kindly went to all of the movies to see all the movies in the theater with me. Mine did too. I, I love it. And then I remember the sparkly skin scene in the movie theater. I thought he just looks really sweaty. Like, yeah. this is not appealing. So like, like you were saying about the special effects and... And this one just takes itself so seriously, but I just, I just love it. There's something in the storytelling that I think is so, like you said, there's the angst. It's very romantic. It's so compelling. 
I do think it tries really hard to be serious and to show Bella as this intellectual equal for this vampire who's lived for however long. I I should do the math, but I won't. I mean, the whole, I wrote this down because I thought it was so funny when she's like, why are you telling me the square root of pi? And he says, you know that? (laughs) It's like, this is how we prove our intelligence. I mean, it does so many silly things, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. we were kind of tossing around the idea of doing ratings and I have no idea how I'd rate this because my brain says something entirely different from my heart and from the way <laughs> I get swept up in this story. So yeah, it, it was definitely a nostalgia trip because I haven't watched it. I've watched it. I think I've watched it twice. I watched it in the theater and then once after, but I haven't watched it for a long time. It's funny before we decided to do this for books to uh, film adaptation, I, it was, they were all on Netflix. Uh, and one night my family was in bed and I was like, I haven't watched this. And you know, since the first time. And so I watched it and it was so funny because I watched it on my husband's like account that he has. And so I watched it. And then the next <laughs> day it was like, you might like breaking dawn or a new moon. And he was like, why is all this? on my recommendations and I said well <laughs> I was Twilight last night so so I mean yeah I, I I agree I think it I I don't know the the effects don't hold up and as a like you know woman I feel like there are some problems but like mm-hmm. just that's entertainment value and being swept up in a story I think it does a good job yeah I mean there was a teacher at my school who was like I hate these books with every fiber of my being and I am going to devour everyone until the end. I mean, it's just that, like you said, there, there are some really problematic tropes of the, yeah. Of the man and 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 woman. And yeah. And I think our very own Ashley feels that way. I think she had some serious reservations. I think she probably had more reservations than I did, especially Uh when I read the book, because I was just like, I mean, you know, I was teaching at the time and I just wanted, I wanted to see what my kids yeah. loved and then I got swept up in it. And so, but I mean, and Ashley will even say she got swept up in the story and plowed through the books. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we've talked about a little bit of this, but what, what works for you in this story? Okay. So I think, so I enjoy the love triangle in the story. Like, I mean, I definitely think in Twilight, it is not as pronounced, but it, but it sets up for this love, this triangle whose resolution I will say was not my favorite, (laughs) but but I do, I enjoy a love triangle. I love that. I love the, you know, kind of playing back and forth and that type of thing. Um, I thought the I thought some of the casting was really good. Mm-hmm. I I liked Taylor Lautner as in terms of a teen movie. Like I am yeah. not saying that these people are these amazing actors, but I thought Taylor Lautner for Jacob, I felt like he was close to what I pictured when mm-hmm. I was reading the books. And I thought Robert Pattinson was a good Edward. I always uh I do think like his acting got better as the series progressed. Yeah. I do think he felt very dramatic during this one and just some of the, and I don't know if it was directing notes or uh-huh. what, but there was like a lot of smoldering and a lot of like. <laughs> I will scary. say he does give good smolder. <laughs> but I thought that was good. And I mean, I, I enjoy, I thought that the, the way that they adapted the story that mm-hmm. was in the book 
I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. There were things I would have changed. And I thought I did. Well, that'll be back. What didn't work, but I did think that the story adaptation was good. And it, you know, I, I thought that it really set us up well for the following movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. what, so what worked for you, Jen? Yeah. I mean, I think it's really, it's so atmospheric. I think it does a great job of showing what Forks is supposed to be like. And you get this real sense of the setting mirroring Bella's emotions. And, and I just have to say, I love Charlie so much. I think Billy, is his last name Burke? I think Uh, I'm looking on IMDb, Billy Burke. I, I mean, I think he's probably the best actor in the movie, first of all. <laughs> and I mean, that's not, that's not, I know, right? <laughs> but I think, and I've liked him and other things, but I just think, I just love Charlie because you can tell how much he loves Bella, but he doesn't say it. He's one of those dads who does it by like getting her new tires, by getting her this truck. He's just, I just love her dad so much. And yeah. so then I think, that sets up well, like her anguish at the end when she has to pretend to be so hateful to him and to use the words that her mom used when she left him to let him think that she's leaving again. I just think all of that works really well because of the strength of Billy Burke and of Charlie. Yeah. Um, so that's one of my favorite things about the book. And I just think I buy, I mean, it's, people have said, and I agree, it's a little tough to believe that this hundred plus year old vampire would be attracted to this kind of gauche girl. <laughs> but I think, I think you can buy it. I w- <laughs> this is dipping into what didn't work. I will say the scene where she steps in front of the fan and her scent wafts over to him <laughs> and he recoils. <laughs> it's like really bizarre and yes. not sexy at, or swoony or anything at all. No. And I know we're supposed to be you know, then believe well, then that. the fact that she like smells her armpits, right? <laughs> after, it's like, oh. Which I feel like would be the natural reaction. I know. That <laughs> is really, anyway. But yeah, I, so I think, I think it does a good job of tapping into all of those romantic tropes. And I do agree Pattinson gets better, but like, I love him in the Harry Potter, in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And so there was a lot of nostalgia there for me that may not have been about this movie it's just that I like him but I think he does a good job with a character I mean when you think about it Edward's kind of a thin character yeah and and so I think he does a good job building that into something that we can believe would be appealing yeah I agree so all right anything else you want to say about what works because yeah no okay so what didn't (laughs) work for you Sarah like, I felt like there were some super cheesy lines that took me out of the story. Yeah. Like, one of them is, well, it was not only the line, but also just the scene when they are running through the trees and he's, like, climb one, fight him <laughs> or whatever. And then they are running and I'm like, this looks like I could have done this with a green screen. I'm mean, not this smart. <laughs> but, I mean, I know that, like, we are way further in, like, what we can oh do goodness. Yeah. <laughs> like technologically with movies now but I mean when I watch it now I'm just like oh my gosh I feel like I could do with this with a green screen and, uh-huh. and a bit of a our friend Tim I feel like he could recreate that better so I don't know <laughs> that's what we should do this summer <laughs> try to recreate my life <laughs> for sure in quarantine okay <laughs> but I mean I just so I there are just 
and like the sparkly vampire thing when they do that i'm just like oh my goodness well and also i'm a child of like the 80s and 90s so the vampire you know og vampires are the lost boys and i mean they are quite different from the cullens I just remember watching that movie and being so transfixed on the, you know, Kiefer Sutherland and, you know, just the whole Uh, vampire, you know, thing. And I mean, they were pretty bad. They were like the bad boys. And then when, when Edward Cullen goes up into, in the sparkling, I'm like, this seems weird. So, I mean, some of those things really took me out, but I, so that, those are some of the things. There are others, but I'm going to let you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say that whole scene, which is meant to be the... I, I, okay. I'm glad that she figured it out because I am... That whole thing of like people being stu- too stupid to figure out what it is when yeah. everybody's... Re- I mean, of course, you don't believe that's in real life. But in the world of this movie and film, I'm glad that she figured it out. That whole scene when he's like, just say it. I need you to say it out loud. And then he's trying to scare her off by running on trees really fast. And like, <laughs> and then this sparkly moment is like, that is the apex of what does not work for me. Yeah. Because it is supposed to be this moment of just like, she would be so attracted to him. And it's really bizarre. It's it really, and I, and there's tinkling, there are tinkling chimes. <laughs> and I'm like, I feel like there are other ways that could have made this work better <laughs> that, yeah, there's a different kind of sparkle yeah. <laughs> that could have had that would have been more attractive and I not agree. so off-putting. I do. I was listening to a podcast recently where they were talking about tropes and books that work. And one of the, th- what you were saying about like, when there are, there's this thing that is between all the characters and some one character just needs to say the thing. And then yeah. everybody, because like it's like saying that your characters aren't smart enough to figure it out on their own, especially after she gets the book and is doing right. the research and all that stuff. Yeah, I agree with that. That is really frustrating. So I am glad that that, that was out of the mm-hmm. way at that point because yeah. it's frustrating as a viewer and a, and if you're reading too, it's, it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. I also think when she when um, Bella and her friends go to the get the prom dresses and go to the bookstore. And Edward saves her from all the guys because he can hear what they're thinking or yeah, that is, again, that is the epitome of the problem that any feminist would have with this movie, which is here's this helpless little female. who's going to get into trouble by being kind of clueless and Edward has to swoop in and stop it. And he's also basically stalking her. Right. I mean, like, that's the other thing. And also, that's I mean, oh, I gosh, the bedroom. <laughs> I know when he like it's after that, when he's like appearing in the bedroom, I, I will have to say, watching it this time, having a daughter of my own. And I'm like, hmm, is this what we want teen girls? Like, this is the this is the goal romance with this man, right. like this guy sneaking into your room and like staring at you. When he says, I like to watch you sleep. Yeah. It's boundaries, Edward boundaries. There's a reason vampires should have to be invited into your house. <laughs> Lost boys reference. <laughs> Cause that was, that was the case. Mm-hmm. In Lost boys. Anyway, sorry. I, I jumped in. 
We, no, no, no. We talk about the bedroom or where? No, was, no, that's a great point about the bedroom. But I was also going to say, like, when she, uh, when the guys are surrounding her, of course, you want something to happen so that something bad doesn't happen. But like Edward tearing out, of, like, in this like race car thing, and it's like screeching tires. I mean, like, why is that happening? I mean, uh, why? Why does he have to pull up like a race, car, like you know, race car driver? <laughs> It's so bizarre. And like almost run over the guys. Yeah. And like they're so frightened of him because he looks mean and scary. I guess they're just supposed to sense something in the pheromones, but yeah. Yeah. That whole part is really, <laughs> is really, so yeah, there are like these scenes that I feel like are supposed to be the best scenes in the movie, like the most powerful scenes in the movie. And for me, they're the worst. It's like this misjudgment. And then there are other scenes that are just small that I appreciate much more. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's almost like the understated is is better than these big <laughs> melodramatic, super yes. serious. Yeah. Well, and I think too, a lot of those scenes also have this bizarre like choice of music that makes them very like melodramatic and like this big thing. And and I think as a, especially as adults watching it, you're like they're making this <laughs> this seem very dramatic when it's. Not this, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that's part of it too yeah. for me. I agree. Like All right. Do you have, or sorry, what'd you say? I said like the tinkling. With oh, the, I know. I mean, there's a of the sparkles. It's like, tink- uh, yeah, it's really a, a very strange choice. <laughs> so do you have a favorite scene? <sighs> so I should have thought about this more. I don't know that I have one in my head. I, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to say this without seeming really pervy. Go for <laughs> it, Sarah. I do like that angsty, the bedroom scene when they mm-hmm. are, I think they're, I mean, I think they do, I think both of them, both Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson, they have like this electricity between them mm-hmm. that really like builds up all this tension. And it's like, it's sort of like that Romeo, like the star cross lovers thing. Like they shouldn't be together, but yeah. here they are together. And I mean, there's just a lot of tension built up in that moment. And I, I think like, I, I mean, as a woman, as a, an adult watching it, I mean, I recognize the issues, but I mean, I feel like as if I were to have been a teen girl, I would have been so, oh my gosh. and I would have had Edward in my, my, you know, posters in my room and all that stuff. So, so I think that, I think that is a testament to the chemistry between Kristen Stewart mm-hmm. and Robert Pattinson. Cause even though I don't love Kristen Stewart, I think like throughout the series, I mean, and they were a couple in real life, yeah. so, but I think, I think that they are able, it is clear that they have this chemistry between the two of them throughout the series. So mm-hmm. I like that. I like it when you can feel that and like you buy that relationship. So I like that. And I, I enjoy the, any scene when all the Cullens are together. Yes. <laughs> so like the, I mean, even though the baseball looks really like this, the special effects are not great. I like that scene when they're all together. So I think it's really interesting. So I, I like it. How about you? Yeah. I think I was going to pick for the same reason. The first time the Cullens come into the cafeteria mm-hmm. and there's just that, I mean, I'm a big fan of that anyway. Like I love a Western. I love it when the, you know, the gunfighters are walking down the street of the the town ready Mm -hmm. for the gunfight. I just think there's something about that energy, the team energy that I really like. And so that, and you get, there's something about that entrance that you can see why everyone in the school is drawn to them, that they feel like they're on this other level. 
you get a sense of their personalities, which in this movie are not well drawn out. I mean, they're very much each filling this sort of stereotypical role. But I also think that works for the type of movie this is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I really I think that's a great entrance. And then you can see how drawn she is to Edward from the beginning. That all works for me. Um, Oh, yeah, he's not there at the beginning anyway. But, yeah, the first time when is she when is the first time she sees Edward? No, well, he is it there? in the cafeteria yeah, yeah. Yeah. by himself. Okay, I was worried. I was like, it's that weird scene where the Anna Kendrick's character—I can't remember her name—but she's like they like are foster children, Jessica. but they also yeah. are That's like right. up in that Doctor Cullen is a matchmaker. <laughs> That's right. I had forgotten that. Yeah. So that I love that team sense, and then you know every time they're like lurking in the parking lot and they look just unbearably cool, and you yes. yeah. I think all that works really well. I had forgotten that Anna Kendrick was in this movie. Yeah, she she is very good at the role she is given. Yeah. <laughs> Which again is pretty thin, but she is right funny. Yes. <laughs> all right. I mean, she does provide some comic relief. I mean, the scene where they're trying on the prom dresses and she's talking about how great her boobs look. And then later <laughs> at the dance when, when Kristen Stewart, when Bella is giving her like the thumbs up. She's like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> It's really funny. All right. Well, I wanted to share some trivia. So I ended up, because this is no longer on Netflix, I ended up buying or renting this on Amazon Prime, which has this great x-ray feature that it connects to all the scenes and gives you these little, these little trivia moments. And there are some good ones. So, all right. I thought this was really interesting. So we've just gotten the news that Midnight Sun is going to be finally released after... So it was supposed to be released a long time ago and then it leaked and Stephanie Meyer got really angry and decided not to release it. But there is a line from Midnight Sun about that Jessica speaks in the movie. Jessica says that the guys are treating Bella like she's a shiny new tool toy that they're fighting over. Mm -hmm. And that was originally from Midnight Sun and Edward thought it. Oh, yeah, that is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder how Stephanie Meyer thought about that because she was pretty protective of that manuscript. So I'm assuming yeah. she shared it with Catherine Hardwick, the director. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. The other Stephanie Meyer fact. Okay, so two more. Um, Henry Cavill was Meyer's first choice for Edward. That would have been a very different movie. Or a different, say. not a different movie maybe, but a different Aesthetic, I think. Uh huh, for sure. Yeah, he is a very different type than Robert Pattinson. So, the other, I'll just go ahead and do this. The other people who were considered for that role so, Jackson Rathbone, who plays Jasper, was actually a finalist for Edward. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That's crazy that he was a finalist and then he's Jasper. And I mean, Jasper doesn't have a ton of speaking roles. I mean, speaking parts. Yeah, he said very little. Yeah, he just kind of is there. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. And then the other two names were mentioned, and I had to look up both of these actors. Uh, ben Barnes, who then I did recognize, and Shiloh Fernandez were considered. Me. Ben Barnes was in, I just looked at this and now I forget already, but Ben Barnes was in something that I recognized. Anyway, so for Bella, the number one name that was mentioned was Lily Collins. Hmm. That's weird because didn't she play Clary in the Mortal Instruments? Adaptation? No, she is, is in that... 
Um, no, oh, no, Cinderella, Lily James. She was the in the new Cinderella, like the live action. Lily, Lily Collins. James. Lily Collins. No, Lily Collins was Clary. No, she's not. She is. Is she? Oh, yes, she is. And she, she is. She's also in that other. Um, there's another Y series that they made into a movie, the Southern Gothic one. I'm wildly scanning through IMDb. They, you know, that more, the Mortal Instruments series, I was so excited for the adaptation and I did not love that. I watched the series. The series was better than the movie. It, it got better. Okay. So it was the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I only watched the movie and I did not love it. Oh my gosh. Where is it? Okay. I'll have to look it up. Maybe, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong person. Okay. So Lily Collins. So, and I don't know what I think about that. Go ahead. I don't know that that like. I don't know that that's an upgrade. I think it's a lateral move. <laughs> that's great. Okay. Now here's a name. Ready? Jennifer okay. Lawrence. Ooh, because I feel like she would have brought a different energy to that role that yeah. might have changed. Yeah. I mean, I, don't I think know. she is definitely a better actress. Mm -hmm. I do. Th I think, I think it is hard to say because of the chemistry between Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart. Right. Yeah. But I'm not I mean, sure they would have matched as well. Yeah. So that, I think that's, I think that is, I think that is one of the reasons that the movies were so successful and like have such a following is because of the, and I also thought that like Taylor Lautner fit nicely in mm -hmm. that triangle too. Like I thought that that it was a good, like even what I said about Kristen Stewart, I thought that, the chemistry between the three of them and like the, even the antagonistic energy between yeah. Robert Pattinson and Taylor Lautner, I thought all of that was really strong. So I mm -hmm. feel like if you take one of those out, it's hard to say who, yeah. like what, what the movie would be. Yeah. And I think too, like, like Henry Cavill, I can see matching better with Jennifer Lawrence than with Robert or with, um, <laughs> I'm blanking on her name. Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart. Like, I had Emma Stone in my head for some reason. Oh. I have no idea what she is not. She was not considered. I just had her in my head. Um, so other people, Michelle Trachtenberg, who I only know from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, mm -hmm. and Sarah Paxton, who I had to look up. I don't really know her. Yeah. I Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know her. I recognize that name, but I don't know who. I'm not sure who she is. And then Cam, I'm not sure how to say his last name, Jigandet, I'm sure it's French, but anyway, who plays James, the villain, mm -hmm. was originally going to be Emmett, but preferred the other role and asked to be moved. I we didn't talk about the villains, but I do think that Victoria and James mm. and uh, what's, uh, what's the other guy's name? I'm gonna look. Um, I can't think. But um, I think that in terms of their villainry, or if that's a word. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I think that they are fantastic. I and do. When they show up on the boat. And oh my gosh. To kill that. The Charlie's friend. I mean. Laurent. They, Laurent. Yeah. I knew it was something like. Yeah. French or, uh, that is. I mean, they are, they just dominate. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, and I think Victoria is a fantastic villain through. I mean, just the way she appears and all that. I think she's, she, she totally sells it. I love it. I know it's so bizarre to me that they recast her for the subsequent movies because I, I do. Know. I agree. She was great. I know. 
That would be yeah. an interesting tidbit to try to find out why they recast if there was mm-hmm. a reason, I mean, if there was a reason or they just didn't feel like she encompassed the role, but I thought, I thought that she did. Yeah, like. she is quite menacing and just she is more the typical vampire. They are more the typical vampires, like right. you're from Lost Boys and stuff. I think that is more consistent with that portrayal. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think like when they come up on that baseball game, uh-huh. that is such a great that's a great scene. Yeah. Yeah. I like I I yeah. I mean, like the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, yeah, I like it. It's very entertaining, the movie. It is very entertaining. All right, so there's a line that Stephanie Meyer fought to keep in verbatim, and it's the one when the scene that we have disparaged where they are finally getting together and they the lion fell in love with the lamb line. Stephanie oh. Meyer really wanted that to be in there exactly. But and it and it was in there. So Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, I I mean that's a good line. Yeah. Okay, random contact news. So Kristen Stewart wore contacts through the whole movie to match the eye color in the book. Her eyes are actually green and she wore brown contacts, which I thought was bizarre. Like, why does it matter? Yeah, I wouldn't have remembered that. No. And I guess if I were a teenager who had poured over it like multiple times, maybe even then, I just don't think I, I just don't care about things like that. But the red contacts that the cannibalistic vampires, I guess they're not cannibals because vampires are a different species. Anyway, those are hand painted by the director. Catherine Hardwick hand painted those red contacts for them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I hope she used non-toxic paint. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like Wizard of Oz back here. Um, so Robert Pattinson had to learn to drive for the movie. Oh, Wow. Which I thought was interesting. I mean, I'm sure there was a stunt person driving during a lot of that. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. Okay, scenes that they had to film multiple times. When they're in the cafeteria the first time, the Cullens, they had to film that over and over because the actor who plays Emmett kept accidentally eating. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I thought that was so funny. I can see if it's just sitting there and you're bored because let's face it. I feel like that I would do that. I know. Well, he doesn't have much to do. He's just back there and that would be a natural thing. (laughs) The other scene that they had to keep reshooting was the one where she drops the apple and Edward picks it up and it's Mm -hmm. supposed to match the cover. And they apparently had to film that one many, many times to get it right, which I can see. That seems like it might be tough. Another scene where the our technology from today would have been helpful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no doubt. So in the scene when Bella goes to the Collins house for the first time and she reveals that she's already eaten dinner and Rosalie get Rosalie. Why does that sound funny? That's right. Right. Rosalie. Rosalie mm-hmm. Okay. Gets really mad and breaks the bowl. The first time they shot that she cut her hands. So oh. then she has to wear gloves for the reshoots. Oh, interesting. I'm like, how did you not plan for that? That feels uh-huh. like a pretty easy thing to predict. Yeah. Anyway. That, is, <laughs> that seems like <laughs> bad props. <laughs> so Robert Pattinson actually plays the piano for Bella's lullaby. He sang in it as well. Uh, yeah. Right? And that was from like, so apparently they kept like, he would record music, and they kept trying to get him to show it to the director. And when he finally did, she agreed that he could sing on the soundtrack. So That's really cool. I thought that That's was cool. Awesome. Okay. Last random fact. Okay. The most expensive wardrobe piece in the movie is Edward's suit at prom. Oh, wow. And it's a good suit. 
I will say he looks good in that suit. Uh, Bella's dress is was only twenty dollars. Wow, that's a great fact. Did, really did it say how much his suit was? It did not. <laughs> I, I, I bet we could uncover that fact, but I did not dig deeper. <laughs> that's awesome. Those are great facts. I love it. Yeah. So I'm like, I need to rent the Amazon version of all of the movies that we do for this. Cause yeah, they were really, and I do think like I said, a lot of them are on IMDb, but I thought those were cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And it also has this, I'll just do an ad for Amazon right now. (laughs) It also has this feature. Like if you like the fact you can click and it'll take you to that scene. So you can then watch it. Like, cause I just viewed them all at the end. And so I thought that was neat if I wanted to check it out. And they they had continuity errors too. Like the deer at the beginning is two different species of deer. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) I did not point out all the continuity errors, but there were a number of problems (laughs) as there are in any movie, but that's awesome. Great facts. Yes. All right. Well, anything we have not covered that you want to cover? I don't think so. All right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us and we have not decided on our movie for next month, but we'll put that out there on social media so you can watch ahead and listen with us. All right. Thanks so much. Bye guys. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed listening to that episode. If you enjoyed our discussion of Twilight and want more content like that, again, we hope you'll check us out at patreon.com slash unabridged pod, where we're putting out more content just like that every month. To finish off this episode, we are going to do our give me one. And the topic today is best concert you've ever been to. So Sarah, what, what's your give me one today? Well, True to my nature, I have two listed. I'm trying to decide between the two, <laughs> but I am going to stick to, I'm going to stick to one. Maybe I can use the other one for another time, but I am going to go with my sister oh, several years ago before I ever had kids, but I was married. So at least 12, 13 years ago, my sister got me Bon Jovi tickets for my birthday so that my husband and I, and then some of our other friends went, and we all went in a minivan <laughs> that someone <laughs> borrowed from their parents to this Bon Jovi concert. It was so much fun. And the icing on the cake was that the Goo Goo Dolls opened for them, which they have been one of my favorite bands for a very long time. So I got to see the Goo Goo Dolls who sang, because they were opening, they sang all their very best songs. And then Bon Jovi gave an awesome concert. It was so much fun. We had the best time. I will say it was on a Sunday night and I had to work the next day. And the people that we were with, I had no adult beverages, but some of the people we were with did have adult beverages. And then they wanted to like take out a hibachi and grill after the concert. And so I had to regulate that. But otherwise, <laughs> and I wasn't very nice about it either. <laughs> that's fair it was so much no but on all seriousness it was so much fun and they both like both the bands put on a great concert and I always love going to concerts where I know the words to so many songs and I knew so much of those and even my husband who did not was not really a Bon Jovi fan he liked Goo Goo Dolls but he had the best time it was just so much fun and it was just such a special time I got to go with my husband and then my sister and then our friends and it, it just is one of my favorite moments, my favorite memories from a concert. So that's mine. That's awesome. All right, Ashley, you're up. So for me, I often have trouble deciding too, Sarah, but for this one, it was very clear for me. And I think it's because a lot of the people I listen to and have seen in concert, I love, but 
the one, like I, I chose U2. And the reason I chose U2 is because they bar in a way of all the concerts I've been to put on the best show. And so I think that's why, like, for me, it was really easy to decide on this because I was just completely blown away by how phenomenal the performance was. And I do think it's because there there are other people whose music I love more who I've seen and I've loved it because I love their music so much, but it was just such a phenomenal show. It just showed me why they've been so wildly successful for so long because I love their music, but again, it's not, they're nowhere near my most favorite band for sure. Hands down best concert I've ever been to. So, and I had totally forgotten until you said, but Nelly Furtado opened for them and she was great. And that was when she was not famous at all. And I really enjoyed hearing her sing too. So Anyway, yeah, hands down, best concert for sure. What about you, Jen? What's your pick? Yeah, so I debated doing something that has been more recent. And like you said, Ashley, like maybe that more reflects my musical tastes, what I listen to now. But the the first thing that popped in my head when we came up with this topic was a concert that I saw when I was in college. So it's all the nostalgia. So we saw Bush and opening for them, Goo Goo Dolls and No Doubt both opened for Bush. And that was just... I mean, two amazing opening acts, Bush, that was when I was obsessed with glycerine and was like playing it nonstop from morning till night and maybe a little bit with Gavin Rossdale at that time. Just, I mean, just a little bit, definitely. But anyway, (laughs) so I just, that was related to all those things. Yeah. I was in high school. I imagine when this was happening. Yeah. 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 Cause yeah, I went with my my friends in college and I had not really been to a lot of concerts before I went to college. So it was just, it was really just a great time. It was a great concert. It was so, so, so much fun. So, all right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I just want to remind you again that we have the Unabridged Ambassadors program going on. That one you can find out more about it. Again, (laughs) words. Oh my gosh at unabridgedpod.com slash ambassadors. You can find out more information. Thanks so much for joining us. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at unabridgedpod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.